You know, we're coming kind of on the next chapter of Galatians. We're in Galatians 3 today. And I want to keep going with this theme of the Old West. I don't know why the Old West resonates so well with the book of Galatians, apart from the fact that they were living in situations very similar to what this country faced during the days of the wild, wild west. You know, every traveler who set out from the east, either to go to the Indian territories or to get to the Gold Coast of California, each one of them had a goal in mind. That goal was to start over. There were so many people who came to this country because in their home countries, they had nothing. You know, part of my ancestry is Irish, and the Irish fled the potato famine. They fled a country where they were starving to death. They loved their home, but they could no longer eat. So they fled to the shores of America to find something new, to find a new start, a, a, a way to start over again. And that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about what happens when you get to that place. You've gone through the desert. You've gone through all those lands and the robbers and the bushwhackers and the carpetbaggers, and you've gotten to this new land. Now what do you do? You've come for a time of starting over. In fact, you have reached the promised land. That's how they saw the West in those days. It was the promised land. Many of the pastors and preachers of the day would talk about the book of Judges. They would talk about how Joshua would lead them into this promised land in the book of Joshua. And they would talk about what it was like to this land of milk and honey. And that's what they saw as their destination, the land of milk and honey. Then they would look at Judges and they would learn some lessons from the book of Judges. What not to do, what not to be caught up in, because from Joshua to Judges, everything kind of fell apart. What I want to look at today are three encouragements that we find in Galatians chapter 3, three encouragements that will keep us safe in this new land. Maybe in your life you started over again many times. Maybe you've gone through some loss. Maybe you've gone through some failure and you, you said, you know what, I'm going to start all over again. I'm going to do it right this time. I'm going to do it right this time. And so these three encouragements are found in Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. The first one that we see is this, don't get fooled again. I'm not talking about the song by the who, not that song. I'm talking about not getting fooled by what happens when you get to a new land, when you get to a new place. Galatians 3.1, you foolish Galatians, who has cast a spell on you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? You see, there were those who were saying Jesus wasn't crucified. There were those who said that he only passed out on the cross, that he woke up later, that he never really died, and that all they had was this illusion that he died, and that he came back several days later, he woke up, and they were mystified, and they, they saw him as a risen Savior. So he said, no, no, we have publicly portrayed to you, Jesus Christ was crucified. His death on the cross is essential. Without Jesus dying on that cross, there is no payment for the penalty of sin. Do we understand that? If Jesus didn't die, we are all still lost. We are all still in our sin. The price for our sin has not been paid for. That's not something you hear in the modern church because nobody wants to hear that you owe God a debt that only Jesus could pay. 
Let's keep going. Who has cast this spell on you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by the Spirit? Are you now finishing by the flesh? Did Jesus begin something in you by his act of grace and mercy, and now somehow you have to earn it? You may think this is outdated, but I, t I guarantee you, I know a pastor, and he is a good man. He is a good man. He loves his wife, loves his family, but he will stand in that pulpit every Sunday and say, yes, you were saved by grace, but now you have to earn it. He believes that if you go outside and, and uh, someone hits your truck, Doug, and you get mad and you cuss and you swear at them or you throw a tire iron at them, that you've lost your salvation. you got to go get saved all over again. He believes, ladies, if you go outside and you see some woman who's younger and your husband's eyes follow her down the road and you take and you backhand him, that you've lost your salvation. Boy, if that happened, nobody would get saved. Amen? You know what I'm talking about. Here's the thing. They believe that you started by the Spirit and you finished by the flesh. Exactly what Paul's talking about. Did you get saved by grace and now you're trying to earn that salvation on a day-to-day -day basis? Did you experience so much, as verse 4, did you experience so much for nothing? If, in fact, it was for nothing, so then does God give you the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing, by the works of the law? Or is it by believing what you have heard? Just like Abraham, who believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. This is important. Every Jew throughout the world in the first century, and every Jew today, believes that you have two key figures. You are given a promise by God through your relationship with Abraham, you are the children of Abraham. Therefore, there's this genetic link that says, if I am genetically a Jew, I am descended from Abraham. Therefore, I inherit the promises of Abraham. We're going to look at those in a minute. They believe that, and then they believe in Moses, that the law came through Moses. So you have Abraham first, there's the promise. Then you have the law through Moses. If you don't have those, you're not really a Jew, and they will tell you that. I, I talked to a, a rabbi here in Houston, and I said, uh, Rabbi, let me ask you a question. Uh, I have a friend of mine. He's a Messianic Jew, uh, a Jew who believes in Jesus. Uh, how do you view that? He says, well, we don't call them Messianic Jews. We call them Christians because no one can be a Jew and a Christian. I think Paul would have been shocked to hear that because it's not by the law that you get everything. It is by your relationship to Abraham. And it says here, Abram, sorry, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. Actually, at this point in his life, he was not Abraham. He was Abram. Genesis 15, 6, write it down, look it up. That's exactly what he quoted. He says, Abram, who believed God, it was credited to him for righteousness. He believed that God was going to do a thing. Therefore, God saw that as a righteous act because he had what? Faith. A lot of people say, hey, we are saved by faith in the New Testament. How were people in the Old Testament saved? The answer is simple. Abraham, they are saved by faith, by believing that God will accept them because they are the children of Abraham, because they have faith in God. Rahab the prostitute. 
In come the spies. This is in, in, in the book of Joshua. They come in, they're spying out the city, and what does Rahab say? We know that your God is going to give you this city. Now spare us because we believe. Swear to us by Yahweh, by the covenant name of God, that you will spare me and my family. You see, it wasn't housing the spies that saved Rahab. She asked in the name of God Almighty for mercy. The very thing that God respects. When you get to the Ten Commandments, when you get to the law, it says if a foreigner lives among you and keeps the words of the law, keeps their faith in Yahweh, not in Baal or Ashtaroth or Chemosh, the gods of the Canaanites. If their faith is in Yahweh, then they are saved. You don't have to earn it after that point. Could you imagine having to earn your salvation every day? That everything you did, every word you said, every thought you thought could take away your salvation or, or add to your salvation. Can you imagine a terrible, horrible life like that? Anytime you got angry, you would lose your salvation and have to get saved all over again. That is not a biblical concept. We see it right here. It says this in Romans 5.1. It's Paul writing again. Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, remember justified just as if I never sinned? If we've been justified by faith, we have shalom. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have wholeness. We have wellness. We have completeness in faith, not in works. Not in works. You see, I see so many people today who are trying to do things to impress God. You ask them, why will God let you into heaven? Oh, I'm a good person. I'm kind. I'm generous. I bake cookies for people. I sew blankets for people. I give to the needy. I do all these things. They will list all the things they do. Here's the problem. Really great, wonderful, kind, loving people go to hell every day. Because they die without trusting in Jesus Christ. I challenge you with this today. You live in a world that believes salvation is won by good works. You need to pop that balloon. When someone says, well, Laurel, won't I go to heaven because I'm a good person? You have to say, no, you will not. Go to heaven because you are a good person. And they say, how can you say such a terrible thing? Then you say, Romans 5.1, we have been justified by faith and not anything else. It was this idea that set Martin Luther on the way to the Reformation. He read it in the Old Testament. He read it in the New Testament. He says, my goodness, we are saved by our faith, not by the things that we do as Catholics not by giving to the poor box, not by doing these acts, not by taking pilgrimages. Luther never thought he was going to upset the entire world. He just wanted to clean up the church. And if they had listened to him, they could have cleaned it up and gone on with their stuff. But no. When you get to the promised land, you have to not get fooled by the law, not get fooled by works. And I'm sorry, men are the worst at this. 
We think we have earned everything that we have. Charles Stanley this morning said, gentlemen, you didn't get anything by your hard work that your father didn't give you because of your faith. You didn't earn everything you have. God gave it to you as an, as an inheritance, but also as, as a thing to take care of, as a thing to use, as a thing to manage. Whatever success you've had in life, that has come from the hand of God, and that's who we need to praise. So don't get fooled when you get to the promised land. It wasn't all you. It was all God. Your only faithfulness was in following him. That brings us to our second point. You need to follow the footprints of faith. Follow the footprints of faith. When you get to that promised land, now suddenly there's no one who knows you. Now suddenly you can do whatever you please. Now suddenly you have that terrible freedom that Kierkegaard talked about. That horrible freedom of, I am free now. How do I live my life in such a way that it honors God when now I have the freedom to go and do whatever I please? That's a terrible thing to wrestle with. Galatians 3, 7. You know then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. Oh, the Jews were dying at this point. They believed they were Abraham's sons because they were genetically descended through the Jewish people. Their ethnicity was Jewish. They believe that was their salvation. You got a lot of Americans who think that just because they're Americans, that they're Christians. The two things have nothing to do with each other. Nothing at all. Just because you are born and raised in the United States of America, in the great land of Texas, doesn't mean you are a Christian and doesn't mean you are square with God. That is the truth. Contrary to what about a thousand country and Western songs have to say. You know, I love country music, but sometimes they just get it wrong. Here we go. Verse 8. Now the scriptures saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by, by faith and proclaim the gospel ahead of time to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed through you. Abraham is not a nation yet. He is a man with a wife who is barren. He's an old man with a wife who's barren, yet God says, I am going to bless the nations through you. Not just your children, the whole nations. And it says this, Consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. So what, where's the blessing from? From being Jewish? From being a Gentile? From being a hardworking person? From being a, a, a crusty old a farmhand who, who did it all himself? By faith. Why am I pounding this into you today? Because you have a message to give to the nations. Your hard work means nothing if it's not in Christ. Do you understand? If you are wealthy, successful, you have land, you have trucks, you have cattle, you have money in the bank, you got nothing without Jesus. And that is the truth, whether we like it or not. The blessing is in faith, not in possessions. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Because it is written, everyone who does not keep everything written in the book of the law is cursed. Break one law, break them all. Show me anybody who's never broken one of them, and I'll show you a miracle. We've all broken the law of Moses. Therefore, we are cursed. We are cursed because we broke even one in what we said, what we did, and what we didn't do. 
You know, who has seen his brother in need and has not met that need? You've broken the law by not meeting that need, by not showing that compassion. We're all guilty. That's the great thing about church. It is not a place for the holier than thou's. It is the place for the sick and the desperate and the needy who understand their need for Christ. You know, Doug went to the hospital this week. Who goes to the hospital? Healthy people? No. Sick people who are in need of healing. That's who goes to a hospital. You know, this is a precautionary thing. That's a whole different issue. You go to the hospital because you're sick. You go to church because there's something desperately wrong with all of us. It's a sin nature. Now, when God recreates us, he recreates us as a new creation. But that old thing is still buzzing in your head. That old man, that old woman is still in there somewhere trying to disrupt you. Now, it is clear in verse 11 that no one is justified before God by the faith, by the law. You're not justified by the law. This is Paul speaking. This is Paul who specialized in the law. A student of Gamaliel had memorized the first five books of the Bible by the time he was 13. Memorized it. And he says, it's useless. It can't save you. It cannot save you. Because the righteous will live by faith. That verse right there set off the Protestant Reformation. The just will live by faith. But the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Crucifixion, even back to the days of the Persians where they simply impaled you on a, on a stick, on a, on a, on a stake. They, uh, they, they were considered cursed. You were considered an evil person. The Romans did it simply to, to teach people a lesson to put fear into the hearts of people. But when you were normally crucified, it was to show that you are a wicked and evil person. That's what happens to you when you're wicked and evil. So you became a curse for us because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus. The purpose of all of this is found in Isaiah. When Isaiah says, a light has shined in the darkness, and by Galilee of the Gentiles will it come to the Gentiles. Galilee in the north was hated and rejected by the southerners because it was seen as a place of the impure, a place where people were of mixed descent, a place that were not proper Jews. These were, these were the lower class people. This was the wrong side of the tracks. And that is where God comes, to the wrong side of the tracks. He goes to the people who are not perfect. Jesus said, I didn't come to take care of the healthy. I came to the sick. I came to those who know they are in desperate need of a doctor. In this day and age, there's a lot of people in desperate need of a doctor. But the doctor they need is the doctor of their soul, not the doctor of their body. So that we can receive the promised spirit through faith. The spirit doesn't come through the law. In the Old Testament, the spirit would come, would empower someone like Samson. And when Samson sinned, the spirit lifted and removed itself from him. Then he was powerless. Only when God sent the spirit again did he have that power. One more time. After Pentecost... After that 50th day, the Spirit came and stayed. And that is only for those who have faith in Jesus Christ. 
Consider Genesis 12, 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. Cool. You're going to give this to my offspring. Not just my kids, but all those who come after me. Now pay attention. This is important. So he built there an altar unto Yahweh who had appeared to him. What is our response to what God does for us? Worship. Worship is our response. Reverence for the word. Faithfulness to the spreading of that word. The word apostle meant those who are sent out because they left Jerusalem and went to the world. But don't forget, Pentecost came so that everybody there could hear who Jesus was and what did they do? They took it home with them. When Philip encounters the Ethiopian eunuch, talk about a guy with a rough life. He encounters him on the way. He's going home. He's been to celebrate the Jewish festivals. He's going back to Ethiopia in the south, in Africa, and he's going to go back to his employer, you know, Candace. When he goes back, what does he do? He takes the gospel. Ethiopia has always been a hotbed of Christianity. And it began when a certain eunuch returned to his master and proclaimed Jesus Christ as Lord. Think about that. One man, a servant, returning to a queen, and he brings the gospel of Jesus Christ to Africa. And from there it spreads. One man whose life was changed. What could God do with one person completely, totally surrendered to him? Think about it. What can God do with one person who's willing to give it all up just for the glory of God? That's to me, that to me is amazing. On your own, you can't win. But with God, you can't lose. You cannot lose. He shows us salvation. We proclaim it to the world. That's our response. Third thing I want you to see is right here, Galatians 3.15. So don't get fooled again into going back to that old way of life. I always ask the question, all these California people are coming to Texas. Why? Because California is horrible. So they're coming to Texas. Why? Because Texas is wonderful. Now they come to Texas. What do they do? They recreate California. Why? Why would you want to recreate the thing you just left? I'll tell you why. Because you, you, you didn't really want to leave. You just wanted to do that somewhere else. So when you go, don't get fooled again. Don't bring that law along with you. Don't drag that ball and chain. Follow the footprints of faith. Follow in that faithfulness when you get to that new land. Keep doing what it was you did on the road, on that way there. The final thing is this. Remember the past, but don't live in it. Oh, I wish I had about a week to preach this. How many of us would be so much happier if we quit living in the past? How many of us would be joyful if we could say, yes, I was this, but now I'm this. Yes, I, I made this mistake. I made that mistake. I made the other mistake. But you know what? I don't have to be that anymore because now I am who Christ made me. If we could forgive ourselves for the past, if we could cut it loose, let it go, how free would we be to follow Christ into every corner of our lives? Think about it. I know people who are filthy, stinking, rich. 
They are powerful. They have more possessions than they can spend in a lifetime. Yet they are absolutely miserable. Why? Because their head is still 20 years in the past. Thinking about all the things they did or didn't do or could have done or should have done. The coulda, shoulda, woulda is a horrible, horrible thing to live with. Let's see what I mean. Galatians 3.15. Brothers and sisters, I am using a human illustration. No one sets aside or makes additions to a validated human will. Once the will is written, last will and testament, it's done. Whatever is done there is done. It's how it goes. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say to his seeds as though referring to many, as like many children, but referring to one, to your seed, who is Christ. That is the first promise given in the Bible. The first promise after the fall is this, that one day the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent and the descendant of the serpent. Think about that. Man and woman just messed up. They were getting kicked out. But God said, don't despair. One day, woman, your seed will crush the seed of the serpent. You will crush it. You will have victory. You will have the victory in the end. It just takes a while to get there. So he says this, your victory is in that seed is in Jesus Christ. My point is this, the law which came 430 years after Abram, Okay, does not invalidate, invalidate a covenant previously established by God. God made a promise to Abram. The promise remained. The promise to protect his offspring, to protect his lineage, that through him would come David, through him would come the Christ. That promise was not invalidated by the law given at Sinai. Understand that. Purpose of the law is to make us guilty. The purpose of faith is to set us free, to redeem us. And thus cancel the promise. For if the inheritance is based on the law, it is no longer based on the promise. Either you're, in, either you're earning it through the law or you're inheriting it by faith. That's the only two ways you can get there. You earn it by the law or you inherit it by faith. Guess what? You can't earn it. It's not possible. It is impossible to earn it. So you have to go back to faith. Why then was the law given? It was added for the sake of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. So until Jesus came, the law was there to show us that we were wrong. The law was put into effect through angels by means of a mediator. Interesting. Have you ever heard that? The law was put into effect through angels. Wait a minute. Moses was no angel. He was a murderer. What does this mean? Consider Deuteronomy 33.2. This is just a little side note, but you know I love history, so here it comes. Deuteronomy 33.2. He said, Yahweh came from Sinai and dawned from Seir upon us. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from the ten thousands of holy ones with flaming fire at his right hand. You wonder what burned the mountain? That burned the mountain. What fried it from the outside in, that burned it from the outside in. The presence of God's holy angels, their flaming swords. I think it was, I think it cool. most of them were seraphim because the word seraph means the burning ones. It's really awesome. The law was put into effect and these angels were witnessing it. 
and their, their light, their glory shown as the law was given. Now a mediator is not just for one person alone, but God is one. So this mediator is going to be one person, but it's going to be for many people. Is the law therefore contradictory to God's purposes? Absolutely not. For if the law has been granted with the ability to give life, then righteousness would certainly be on the basis of the law. If the law could make you righteous, Jesus didn't have to come. That's why when he prays, Lord, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Jesus did not want to die for us. He knew what it was going to cost him. He knew the pain. He knew the suffering and the agony. He said, Lord, if there's any other way to save these people, I don't want to die. But there was no other way. That's why he had to die. That's why all this stuff of Jesus didn't die on the cross, he passed out. That's nonsense. That's foolishness. In fact, I've actually heard one religious leader who shall remain nameless actually say that on the cross, Jesus disappeared. Judas Iscariot appeared on the cross and only looked like Jesus. Now, I don't know what that brother was smoking, but it must have been powerful to believe a deception like that. No Jesus on the cross, no death, no resurrection, no hope. Do we all get that? That's why we can't let the world keep believing that they can make it on their own. All we're doing is ensuring that they sail right into the bowels of hell on a ship that doesn't even rock on the waves. We can't let the world believe that they can do it themselves. We've got to warn them only through Christ is this going to happen. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin's power so that the promise might be given on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ to those who believe. You believe, you're saved. Before this faith came, we were confined under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. The law then was our guardian until Christ so that we could be justified by faith. Now think about this. What's the purpose of a guardian, a legal guardian? If you think about what a legal guardian is, they are there to take charge of a person, to teach them, to raise them, to instruct them and to protect them until they become old enough to stand for themselves, right? That's what a legal guardian does. The law came to show us what was wrong, to show us that we were wrong, to show us that we needed God. That's why the whole sacrificial system happened. The sacrificial system happened so that man could be removed of that guilt, but it was only temporary. When Jesus came, it was permanent. He said, but since that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for through faith you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. That clothing has to do with righteousness, just like, just like Joshua the high priest had on what? His own works. What were his works? Filthy rags. Then God says, take the rags off him, put on the robe of righteousness, the turban, all of that stuff. He was clothed by the word of God, by God's command. That's what Christ does. He removes our works. He clothes us in his works on the cross, that righteousness. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to that promise. There it is. How were they saved in the Old Testament? By faith. Faith caused them to make those journeys to the temple. Faith 
made them give the offering that God required. Faith that God would forgive is what brought forgiveness. They gave what they could. If you were poor, you gave turtle doves. If you were wealthier, you gave a, a more substantial gift. But the, the thing was, you believed that God would do it. You believed God would save you. Rahab believed that the God of Israel would save her and her family. And she was saved. And she winds up in the lineage of David and Jesus. Amazing. A prostitute from a Canaanite city becomes one in the lineage of the Christ. Absolutely amazing what God can do when we believe. Question becomes this. What do you do this week? How do you go forward this week? What do we do about our friends, our family, our neighbors, the people we encounter? How do we use this knowledge to begin to shape their lives? That is something we look at. We simply tell them the truth. Hey, don't get fooled, man. You can't earn heaven. You can't earn heaven. So what do you do? You follow the steps of faith. Who was the, who was the instrument of faith? Jesus. You follow those steps right into the baptismal waters. By believing you are baptized, by being baptized, you are saying to the world, I belong to Christ. And even though you remember what you were, you are not that anymore. So now you live according to who you are, not who you were. Amen? Galatians is so filled with all of these pictures, it's all these amazing images. And we still have three chapters to go. So we're, all, we're not there yet. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and pray, and we'll finish up for today.